Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king. Methanol is aromatic and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. I'm Tom Baker. Happy to be back with you again for another week of Super Modified Conversation. Going to keep this open short and sweet today. Uh, actually, we're going to try to keep the show relatively short and sweet, but not sparse. We have a nearly one hour interview that we did, uh, I don't want to even call it an interview, it was a conversation with Larry Trenka, who became one of the few three-time guests on this show, um, and I didn't realize that I had forgotten I'd had him back on a second time, um, but he pointed out that it was his third time on the show, and uh, great to have Larry on always, because he's a great friend and uh, as passionate about supermodified racing as anybody I know um, brought him on because uh, he has restored, is finishing up the restore of Steve Joya's 1976 classic winning car, which was the car that uh, Steve and the family built for the 75 season, the Joya 9 or the Joya Chevy. Um, and so he, um, he is hoping, hoping to have it at the track uh, for the classic in a couple of weeks. So, uh, that would be exciting. So I thought it was time to get Larry back on and talk to him about that. And uh, conversation went off uh, in a few different directions. But um, just a really, really fun talk that I had with Larry. So um, look forward to that coming up here in just a moment. Uh, this is, however, episode 81. So we must have a little conversation about the number 81 and... Oh, boy. Um, I love this. Ron McLeod. Why not? It's the Ron McLeod show. Um, and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, coming up as well. And then uh, we're also going to, of course, uh, revisit a classic. We always do a classic rewind. And I love fans that will that are so ardent. They're, they're such great fans and supporters of this show that they'll tell me when I screw up. And uh, Brian Cavalier pointed out to me after he heard this last week's show, episode 80, uh, I said I was going to do a backwards trilogy, and we had done the 77 Classic Rewind a couple of weeks ago. Then we did 76. So this week would have been 75. He said, you already did that one last year, um, which, again, shows you um, my aging brain. So... Um, I said, well, thanks for letting me know. Um, so I thought about just going and kind of um, cutting and pasting. But then I said, no, that wouldn't be any good. And I was trying to figure out what other classic would I like to do. And he said, well, before I could say anything to him, he said, well, if you're taking requests, uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on the 79 classic. So I said, done. Um so we're uh, we're going to review the uh, 1979 classic this uh, on this show. So uh, all of that is coming up. Of course, I want to start the show um, 
and lead into the break by saying a quick thank you again to everyone who supports the show, from all of you who listen and share to um, the sponsors of this show, uh, Jeff West and IPC Indie, uh, of course, Rich Worth and JNS Paving and Sean Cathcart and Skip's Fish Fry slash LeGroff's Pub. We're going to step aside. I love keeping these opens under five minutes, and darn it, I succeeded today. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, you're, you're going to hear the conversation I had with Larry Trinka the other day. We'll be uh, right back with that right after this. Victory Custom Trailers is the place to go for your next new or used trailer or coach. Being personally involved in the racing community allows Victory to fully understand what racers need in a trailer. They have over 200 coaches and trailers in stock for a variety of industries, and they can serve anyone in the continental U.S. If you're looking for something custom, they can assist in designing a trailer to fit your needs. Check out their entire inventory online at victorycustomtrailers.com. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here in Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter. If you've got something that you need designed or fabricated, let them help you transform your idea, your vision, and your budget into a workable, high-performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove sent you. Okay, welcome back to the Inside Groove as we continue with episode 81 uh, hard to believe I've done 81 of these shows since I brought it back, but uh, really excited about some things that we're doing. Uh, looking forward to the future here and uh, uh, looking at uh, giving the groove a much better web presence and doing some fun stuff. So we'll tell you more about that as it comes by. But uh, uh, we've got Larry Trinka back on the phone with us uh, after a long absence. Uh, this will be Larry's, I think, second go around with us on the show, uh, current iteration of the show. And the reason we brought Larry back this week is because uh, last week we talked about Classic 76, which, of course, was won by Steve Joya. It was the first time that somebody from Oswego had won the Classic at Oswego. It was a very big deal very early in Steve's career, and the car that Steve won that Classic with just happens to be sitting in Larry's garage in Tennessee, uh, basically restored to 76 classic livery. So uh, Larry sort of snuck out the, uh, the news that perhaps we could see the car for classic weekend this year. And of course we just heard uh, or saw that um, the kept dates 28 will be back 
at the track classic weekend this year uh all of the rest of you restored supers please come back uh and let's have a big thing with restored supers at classic this year but um larry's on the phone with us and uh, happy to have him on the program again um larry uh i can't wait to hear the details you and i haven't talked in a good while about uh about what you've been doing with the joya chevy the joya nine um and uh Gosh, when I saw it, uh, what, probably our April or May of last year, um, it was, uh, you know, barely. Uh, I don't know that you'd really even started much of it yet. Now you're ready to potentially bring it to the track, maybe, please, yes. Uh, tell us a little bit about, first of all, um, let's go all the way back. Let's start this at the beginning. So how did you acquire this car? We know that you have Steve's you know, mid nineties, uh, Nestle car that, that, uh, that you have the last one he built, I think. Um, but, uh, how did you come to acquire this particular car that he won the 76 classic with? Well, just to, to be honest, Tom, this is my third time. I, I feel honored. I'm in you know rare company. Is I it, believe third, is it your third time? Maybe, maybe Jeff Abel's. Um, well, in this iteration, yeah, Jeff's been on three yeah. times, and uh, of course Cam, but he's kind of a co-host. Uh, I, I came on real early. I think I was number eight and then number 33 or 35, something like that. <laughs> okay, but, I can remember no, that. I feel honored to be able to be, be asked again well, to come on. Gosh. But uh, to get to your question, uh, I looked at this car. I couldn't, I can't tell you when, but I know Jimmy Patternaster had it. And I went out and looked at it, and I just was not in a position to uh, buy an old race car and try and restore it. And then it it moved around. I, I couldn't tell you the different owners this thing has had since it raced last. It uh, I think the last time it raced was with Don Joy at Classic in 1980. That sounds it went right. To uh, Steve tried. Steve took it to the auction once, I believe, and it did not sell. Oh. So he brought it back home, and I believe Steve Miller bought a bunch of parts from it that were that came off of their Indy Roadster that they had used on this one. Steve updated this car. Let's see. And it went from Steve to I think, it sat around for a few years, and Scott Lyons bought it. I was going to say, I was thinking that either Scott, either Brian Morrison had it for a brief second and Scott bought it from him, or Scott bought it directly from Steve. I couldn't remember. <laughs> Scott bought it from Steve. Okay. And uh, there's, I had always thought that Brian Morrison owned it, and then it went to Canada, and then I believe Jimmy Paternoster bought it from him, but he was noncommittal to owning this car. So I've just given up trying to figure out that that little uh, piece of the lineage of the car. Interesting. But it went to Jimmy Paternaster, and then there's another gap, because Jimmy can't remember who he sold it to. <laughs> I keep telling him I'm going to send him some Prevagen, but he, he laughs. Uh, you know, jagged the memory brain a little bit. But uh, somewhere Jimmy sold it, and he can't remember who, but somewhere it went to the auction again. Steve, I guess, from what I hear, Steve Miller bought it, because there were still some decent parts left with it. And the story I got was he brought it back to Steve, Joya. Oh. And it sat in Steve's shop for quite a while, 
while Stephen was racing. And uh, I guess Dave Ioso started hounding Steve to, you got to restore that car. You got to restore that car. It's a classic when a car needs to be restored. So the story I got <laughs> was one day. Steve brought it out to Dave's. <laughs> yeah, it's like, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, he's there. You're a great idea. You're in charge. So uh, Dave had it for a while, and he was was right about the time that Eric started racing. Steve or Dave had the Joya winning, classic winning car, and he still had the old Gibson Roaster that Gary Alberton owned. The uh, gold car, yeah. That, uh, and, uh, yeah. He was uh, in a process of buying a house in Florida, and he was not going to be able to bring those cars with him, so he sold them. Uh, the Gibson car went to Tom Bliss, and Mike Tynan, who's from Oswego, bought the Joya car. Okay. And uh, I was in New York one, I think it was one spring, and uh, after Mike had had the car for a while, and I'd been in contact with him because I had advertised the car for Dave on Facebook in a couple places because Dave wasn't doing that yet. Oh, and, okay. Uh, so Mike Tynan got a hold of me as to, you know, what was he looking, what was, you know, looking to get, what was with the car, blah, blah. I said, you know, Mike, I'm just advertising. I'll give you Dave's contact information. I'll let you deal with him. So I was in New York one spring, and I just said, hey, Mike, can I come out and look at the car? And he said, Yeah. I said, man, I tried to buy this thing a while ago, and I passed on it when Mike bought it because I just, I just wasn't to a point where I could uh, do another car. Right. So uh, it wasn't long after that Mike had decided he was working a lot of overtime at Alcan, and uh, he wasn't, didn't think he would be able to do it. So he approached me and he said, hey. I'm thinking of selling the car, and I know you'll do right by it. He offered it to me, and I uh, checked with my chief financial officer, and she <laughs> uh, said, you know, it. <laughs> it keeps you busy, it makes you happy. Go for it if it's not a bazillion dollars. So Mike and I came to a, a you know, an offer, and uh, I went up that spring and picked it up and brought it back home. That was three years ago, April. Oh, wow. And... Uh, I've been puttering with it on and off, and I think when you saw it, I had done a lot of uh, stuff that was not visible to the naked eye. Like, gotcha. I, I, when I do the car, I, I try to save as much of what's there that I can. Right. Number one, because I don't have a very huge budget to work with, and number two, I was always taught that, once they're only original once and save as much original stuff as you can. So oh, I just absolutely. try and clean stuff up and reuse it if it's possible. Yeah. And uh, so when you saw it, I had done everything I needed under the body. I think I still had, I had the cardboard body on it when you were here. Right. And, you did. Uh, That's right. Yeah. I went from there and uh, I took a little time off and, uh, you know, worked around the house and did some other things and cause it was summer and, uh, so I got at it pretty hard last uh, last fall, with the intentions of bringing it up for the old timers a couple weeks ago, and uh, that I I really thought I could have got it done. And now that I, in retrospect, I probably wouldn't have been able to make it up. 
only because I would have run into the same things I'm running into now. I got you. And, uh, but uh, we're, we're, the body's on it. The Really, right now, if I had four blown-up tires, I could get it on the ground and roll it outside. But body's on. It's all red with a white stripe. I got most of the white on it. Uh, Kathy Joya is in the process now of uh, doing up the numbers and graphics for me. Oh, nice. And uh, if we get her done and get it up for Classic, which is my my goal, where she's going to put the, the numbers and stuff on it when we get up to New York in a couple of weeks. Okay. I got you. So um, you're, it was interesting because you were telling me that you were having some issues with the tires not seating properly on the wheels. And, um, of course, I'm not much of a <laughs> – I'm not much of a techie, but I can understand I've, uh, that process because I've been involved with tires a little bit in my past on pit crews and such and just – knowing how that whole thing works, but um, is it because the tires uh, were older tires and, and just kind of not as flexible as, as a newer tire would be? Or what what is what was the problem? And um, you, you say you may have found a, a way to, to solve it. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you, you hit the nail right on the head with the old tires. Okay. I bought these. I got some Goodyear tires off of uh, Jimmy Patternaster, when I was redoing the, the Nestle Crunch car. Oh, okay. And because that was my original intention with that was to do it back red like Mr. Joya's cars were. In the 1990, when we ran that car the first year, that was when they ran Goodyear's all the way around. So I bought some Goodyear's off of Jimmy Patternaster. Gotcha. And uh, then some things transpired, and I wound up doing the other car back white as the Baby Ruth car because I was looking to get an invitation to take it to uh, a Legends Day at Indianapolis because Davey Hamilton had driven the car, and he's a former Indy 500 starter. Right. And then, then that, that fell through. But So that's why the, that car has Hoosiers and the Goodyear's set aside. Ah, and now okay. when I went, to, I went to use them, I got two of them. I've got two of them to work. Two of them didn't. But... Uh, I've got one other one I got from Mike Tynan when I got the car. I think he got it from Dave Ioso, and uh, I'm going to try that one hopefully tomorrow, see what that does. If not, I've got another card up my sleeve, and I'm waiting on a phone call to see if that will pan out, which would be to borrow someone else's wheel and tire for one corner so I could still bring it up for classic. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's awesome. So uh, we we may well see that car for Classic. And, you know, this is um, 45 years after the 76 Classic that Steve won. Um, and it it's really interesting. I kind of detailed that race last week as the Classic Rewind. And, um, you know, it was kind of fun to go back and look at that because I remember snapshots you know in my head um you know just silly little things i remember steve had a bit of a limp when he when he first walked after he got out of the car i'm not sure maybe a cramp or something i just remember he kind of limped a little bit um you know it it uh j just remembering that um 
Freddie Graves in the four-wheel drive car dominated that race. But Steve was, I mean, the the, the previous year he had been second. And, and uh, my gosh, I mean, he just, the classic from almost from year one for Steve, the classic was a race that Steve just did really, really well in. And I can just remember the crowd just going bananas when he crossed the line to win that race. Um, it was just an incredible moment for, you know, Oswego fans because, again, first local driver to actually win the Classic. Yeah, he was. That uh, Plus, I believe at that time he was also the youngest to win it. Yeah, I think he was, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, he was only 23 or so, I think, 22, 23, or 24, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that was an incredible race. Were you were you on his crew at that time? No. No, well, I just worked a couple out-of-town shows with them over the couple years. I was, I had gotten hooked up. Kevin Lyons worked with Steve for a few years, uh, and he had just bought – like run around the first or second week of August, had bought the, Buckner the old car. Buckner car off yeah. of Annie Graves. So I, I was working with Kevin. So we were sort of, you know, still with Steve because Kevin didn't qualify for Classic. So we were with those guys, but not, you know, in an official capacity, if you could call it that. Okay. No, it was a, that was a crazy night. We had a had a lot of fun that night afterward. Yeah, I bet you did. I yeah. bet that fun continued well into the next morning too, like it usually does. Uh, well, after. we did a. There was a whole bunch of us, uh, like myself, Lenny Legault, and a whole bunch of people with with friends of Steve's and uh, and Kevin Lyons. We had uh, camped up behind McDonald's. Oh, and, okay. Uh, that was my first year. I had camped there. I was used to camp down on uh, across the street from the fourth turn. Those guys canned me into coming up there, so I camped with them, and we did a parade through town the next afternoon. That was uh, horns blaring and people hooting and hollering and stuff. Oh, that that's awesome. Up. I don't remember anything about that. Oh, yeah. What was was that like? That Was that just a bunch of you deciding we're going to go th- go do a parade through town, or was that? Yeah, uh, yep, okay. yep, pretty much. Yeah, so there was nothing quickly officially organized. Oh. It just became... Let's let's go show off kind of thing, yeah, right? Yeah, that's about yeah. it, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, celebrating is what you would yeah. call that. Yeah, I think. Uh, and disturbing the peace probably too. But Oh, we, we were But it was in the afternoon, so who then. cares? You know? <laughs> I mean, nobody cares. Well, that would have been Sunday afternoon, right? So, you, you know, you waited till church was over, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Okay. I, I see. I Those are the little things that... Um, you know, that you, you, you know nothing about until years later. But now, okay, so you were up behind McDonald's, so that would be, that's where the bowling alley is now, right? That area? Well, that's, that's another little side story. When Bob and Nick built the bowling center, they asked him where they, want, where they would like to do the ceremonial uh, first shovel full of dirt. And Hofi <laughs> went right to, the, right to the spot where our, because we'd camp there, I, I stayed myself and Lenny and a whole bunch of us stayed right in that same spot till uh, 2001. Okay. And when Bob, when they went to break ground for the bowling center, he went right to the spot where our campfire was, and that's exactly where the 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 corn back corner of the uh, bowling center is. Is right where our campfire was. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that was a. Uh, 
Yeah, we were there for a long time, and uh, it was a good spot. There used to be a lot of uh, campers. I mean, it was – I can remember being a kid, and, and you know, you, you'd get them coming in. They'd start the week before, and I remember – getting you know my mom or whoever my my dad my folks to uh you know just every day i'd want to take a ride around the track just to see how many more campers there were and uh you know we i remember in those days i think too there used to be campers that would actually set up across 104 in the like the shopping plazas and stuff too it was just it was a sea of campers by the time we hit the actual classic weekend. It was amazing how many, you know, I would 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 guess probably thousands of, of oh. people, easily 10, 15,000 on the grounds alone. Yeah, probably. That's a, there was a lot of people camped out up there for a long time. Incredible. You know, and, and it's not, there's still a, a fairly healthy amount now, but nowhere near like it used to be. Um you know, in those days, uh, I mean, I, I think people used to call it Camp City. And, you know, just uh, it, it would it, it's amazing what and, and even, you know, you go to a NASCAR race or you go. I mean, you it is, you know, you get the camping section is bigger than some small towns for a while. You know, it used to be the state, you know, obviously the fairgrounds with Super Dirt Week, um, which, again, now has become Oswego with Super Dirt Week, I guess. Um, you know, but you 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 it's 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 the social part of that and just the, the, the pure fun and, and yet kind of the adrenaline of all of that over the week, every, you know, he used to just look so forward to that, uh, you know, and so uh, I can imagine that after Steve won that race, that little spot you guys were sitting in was a pretty hot spot to be uh, hanging out after that one. I would say so. I mean, quite a long time ago, but, the specifics are a little vague right now, but uh, well, the statute of limitations would have run out by now. I would imagine. <laughs> I do remember when the, in fact, pretty much the same group of us that were with Steve, we were working with Jeff West the year Bentley won, and uh, so there was myself and Lanny Legault, uh, Danny Joya, Donnie, yep, that's right, and, and that's right. quite a few of us. Yeah, we were camped in the same spot. We had a Oh gosh, we had a fairly good party that night too. Oh well, if you, yeah, because Bentley was probably right in the middle of it, and anywhere Bentley oh. is is a really good patty. That's uh, the, yeah, Bentley doesn't go anywhere that a patty doesn't follow. Uh, <laughs> you know, in some way, shape, or form, and uh, oh gosh, that was that was one of those. Oh man. Um, you know, people ask me what my favorite classic memory is, and and I I struggle with that because there's so many. But oh gosh, Bentley coming across the line to win that '98 race, and and again the crowd. I mean, people get climbing the the fence, the grandstand fence. To, like I mean, it was it was just amazing. Fifty seven years old, and the man. The man wins the classic uh, in a car that he's never driven. Um, I mean, what an incredible uh, Hollywood story played out that day for him to do that. And um, I don't think there was anybody in the entire uh, pit area or anywhere else on the Oswego Speedway grounds that wasn't 
just truly excited and happy for him to to have won that race. Uh, you know, at his age, and I think at that point, um, he was the oldest driver to win it, and they, I think he still is the oldest driver to have won the Classic. So the irony of this is that um, your little camp spot had uh, the youngest driver to win it and the oldest driver to win it. Happened right in that spot. Well, that was that was a good spot. That was a good spot. <laughs> I'll tell you, we we had a lot of fun in that spot. I, to this day, when people ask about that spot, I go, "Yeah, that's the spot Hofi stole on us." <laughs> so. See now, Bob, what Robert Metcalf is so good at getting, like you know, these these you know streets dedicated or portions of roads and having these signs. We need to get we need to get that spot dedicated. Somehow oh. and put, you know, put, put, put a little thing up and, and, you know, I don't know what you'd call it because you got to dedicate it to both uh, Steve and Bentley somehow, but you yeah. can make something up. Um, that's, that's fun though. My gosh. Uh, you know, well, we, we even had an unofficial address at, the, at our camper because <laughs> we used to be able to find the same divot that we would dig for the one tire. <laughs> And uh, we gave an address of nine Champagne Drive. There you go. I mean, that's and, uh... and when when Bob uh, put the bowling center up, they uh, asked him. They said, "Well, you're you're the only uh, building in this on this street. Pick an address." He picked that, but they couldn't give it to him for some reason. I don't know. We we thought that was hilarious. Oh my gosh, that would have been so much fun. Uh, you know, again, you, you know, who knew? And, of course, back in those days, you would have never known that there was going to be a bowling alley and a hotel. Uh, oh, yeah. Right in that, you know, in, in your little, you know, section there, your little neighborhood. Uh, who would have ever thought all those years ago that that would ever happen? Uh, so, you know, again, uh, that that area, there's a lot of a lot of kind of micro history uh in that <laughs> that's happened in that area apparently i had no idea that's pretty incredible that wow. uh you know you've you've had such a um a, a long history at the track and in your family of course and and uh uh it must be really special for you to now have two restored super modifieds in your garage one of which obviously famous for winning the the 76 classic the other one um again both of them steve joya um i don't know that you necessarily planned it that way that both of them were would have been steve's cars i don't know that you ever started out planning to restore a car at all but i it's just interesting how that's kind of all worked out for you that you've got so much um the joya family is you know a a multi-generational family with a lot of history at Oswego, car owners, drivers, you know, and, and Steve being a former track, you know, co-owner and, and, uh, and now I think he's still doing tech, um, you know, still involved. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it must be really gratifying for you. Would, would you have ever thought in a million years that you would be able to go out to your garage in Tennessee and look at two of the two race cars like that? Uh, no, <laughs> the, the, the first one, I, I only, I only grabbed that because Craig Ravels had it, and I was I had worked for Craig for three or four years, and it was just sitting in an old trailer down in way behind his house. Okay. And I just asked him, I said, "What are you gonna do with Steve's old car?" He said, "Why?" I said, "Because it's a neat old car. It's you know, 
It, it's one of a kind. It, it was that little brief period when they made him have the tall cage. And uh, I just said, it's just a neat old car. I hate to see it just sit in the trailer and ride away. He said, if you want it, come up and get it. I said, we're not going to do that. But, we, you know, we came to a little <laughs> monetary agreement. And it, it took me a while to get up and get it. But I went up and uh, took what was left of the car and uh, brought it home. And then being the, I don't know how you, how I can describe it, a little nuts to <laughs> want to try and keep it original, yeah. I traipsed all the way back up to Toronto to buy the original rear end out of it. Oh, wow. And uh, just, you know, and that, that one, to me, it's special because it's a little more original. Right. Than the, than the classic winner because this thing's changed hands so many times and I really have no idea what's you know other than the frame what's original and what's not so I've had to kind of kind of uh, modify stuff to work with what I got that's why I was when we were home we were just home in the in Oswego we were I was there for retro nights so I'd been out to see Steve a couple times okay. and. Uh, picked up some, I was going to get some stuff from him, but it wasn't what I needed. And uh, I got some parts from Jimmy Pattern Aster and some other things from other people. And uh, I was telling Steve, I said, I don't want you nitpicking this car because it's not going to look nothing, nothing like it was when you had it. You know, a lot of stuff I just got with it and I had to use what I had. So, I mean, it, Body-wise and everything, I think it looks pretty good. Okay. But uh, structurally, I'm not sure because stuff had been modified. Dave Ioso put a different rear end in it and uh, because all those other stuff was, was gone. It was old you know, champ car stuff and stuff that Steve had bought oh, okay. and uh, that got parted out as the car got you know, through different owners and stuff. But, I mean, it... To me, it looks good. It's, you know, it's good enough to show. I'm happy with it. It's like, I got to say that much. It's, I'm happy with the way it's turned out. I just want to get my little uh, tire situation resolved so right. I really know I can plan on coming back up because I've still got things to do to my trailer before I come up because I'd be there by now. Oh, okay. And that's, you know, I'm kind of running out of time, but I, I'm cutting it close, but I I think I can make it happen. I I really want to. Well, that would be great. I mean, I'm just happy. Again, we talk about this all the time. You know, I'm happy to see this interest over the last, you know, handful of years or so in all these restored supers. I mean, Jimmy Paternoster, um, you know, has done, obviously, a couple of Jimmy's cars, and uh, Steve Miller's done, you know, different people have done Patrick Kelso, I think, was the one, wasn't he, that did the 75 car finally, that uh, the, the Albritton car, I think. Um, well, when Patrick got it, it was – Dave Ioso had, had had that thing almost finished, really. All oh, that okay. needed to be done was the frame to be finished, welded up, and to paint the body. Other than that, oh, okay. that car was pretty much done. But Dave was just in a position that he thought he had to get rid of both both race cars you know, in in his move to Florida, which kind of happened, but kind of not. Yeah, they still bought the place in Florida, but he didn't. He didn't move out of Oswego. So right. They're splitting time, but 
at that time he thought he had to, you know, thought they were trying to sell the place in Oswego. And, Makes sense. So, Well, I mean, and, and again, so, you know, Dave and, and Patrick on that one and, and Steve Miller is getting closer on the 10 pins. The uh, I think it's the 71 version. Um, I believe so, yes. 10 pins, yep. Um, and so... You know, there's all these. I mean, I, I, and, and of course, really, uh, obviously, you've got Martell. Martell's are restoring Jimmy's '89, the Champagne Booth car. You know, you've got so many out there, and of course, here just, you know, recently with Kempton dates and that whole. Um, I mean, that story just honestly brings me to tears when I think about it. Um, you know, the 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 journey that that car kind of went through, and again. You know, you talk about just sort of, you know, potluck and finding, and it happens to be the track champion winning car, and then, you know, uh, it, it lights Kemp's uh, fire to to uh, start restoring it, and um, the number of people, including yourself, that that did anything and everything to kind of help to to see that that project through, and and to see it come out at Retro Night, and um, you know, and Kemp to be able to take the laps and, and just the smile on his face and all of that. Uh, you know, I just think this is awesome for super modified racing. And, um, you know, for, for, for that, that part of it, which I think those were kind of the salad years for the, for the division and, and to see, to, to see the interest and to see the work that people have put in and, and, you know, spending their own money and time and, um, you know, effort to, to do these cars up. I mean, um, just incredible, honestly. So, you know, really excited to, to know that now Steve's classic winner car is, and again, even if it isn't exact, um, you know, it's a very close replica, right? And it's, it's still the original car, you know? Oh yeah. It, it, I mean, the front, the whole frame is original. I know that much. Steve's verified that it's, you know, running gear and pieces, parts here. It's, but it's basically still the same car, and uh, that's what what I go by, uh, you know. And I don't know. I I was just happy to be able to get it. I mean, it was just lounging around all over the you know northeast, and yeah, I just just hated to see it, you know. And but I always was a history nut anyway, and I I just think the older supers were really cool. Oh yeah, not, and I'm not saying anything against the new supers because right. supers are supers to me. Right. They're they're the ultimate race car, I think. I agree. I just grew up more with the older ones. Yep. And uh, I was explaining to someone yesterday the difference. I tried to get these tires fixed at a tire shop in town, and uh, I was explaining the difference between the two cars to one of the one of the guys that was working on my tires was a was a racer down here. Okay. And he said. The motor sits where? <laughs> I said the one I got is basically a lot like the old Indy Roadsters, where the, the engine is offset a few inches and it sits inside the frame and this and that. I said the other one I got is quite a bit newer, but the frame is real narrow, and the engine sits outside the frame. And he said the engine sits where? <laughs> and he says how far offset? Because basically everything down here is dirt track, late models, and oh, some yeah. street stocks and and. I mean, that's what they run here, and they've. And I've told you when I show the baby Ruth car, they people just stare and they go, "Oh my God, what is that?" You know? Yeah. And 
It is amazing because even the people, what's interesting is that I find like here in in Meyer in in the Carolinas, um, you know, there's obviously there's tons of people from up there that are down here. So they all obviously know what's what, but you get the people that are from here that you say super modified and, and then you have to say, open wheel, open cockpit, and you see them on TV a lot. A lot of times they have wings. Oh, those cars. But then you show them a picture of like a 70s-style car or an 80s-style car, and they're like, so that's a Super? Yes, that's a Super. Well, and that, you know, the current, that's a Super? And it's like they kind of look and go, they're two different cars. And it's like, yeah. no, it's the same. They've just, but they are kind of two different cars. I mean, yeah. it has evolved into a different car. Um, you know, and so it's just funny the, you know, the outsider's kind of reaction and perception, but they just look so badass fast. Uh, you know, <laughs> both of them, both old and current. But, I mean, you know, it's just, it's not, you look at a modified, and a modified's a modified. I'm talking the dirt style, not the NASCAR tour style. You know, late model on dirt is a late model on dirt. They all look basically the same. The, the chassis may be different. People, different people made them, but the bodies are all pretty much the same across the board. You look at supers, and now today's obviously are very similar. Um, most of the bodies are almost identical, um, unless you look real close. But you look at two older supers, and you just kind of go, wow. I mean, I every once in a while, I'm like on my Instagram I have um, I have a lot of like F four racers, a lot of you know racers that are sort of not necessarily northeast focused and don't know anything about a super modified. And I'll throw up. I got a picture of Gary Reichert's. Uh, you know, when you take the the fir- first one he drove for Turner Brothers, you take the modified body off, and and there's that that sort of you know ugly big wide you know heavy thing that that he drove as a super and um and i throw that up there and people are just like wow (laughs) okay you (laughs) know it's like (laughs) and and it's it's so i think that there's still a a a place for i think there's an appetite for the old stories the old you know the history the the old days the you know, people want to know about that. I think, you know, Dale Jr. does such a great job on his podcast doing a lot of that with, like, NASCAR and whatever. And obviously it was really it's so cool that he, you know, is so fond of Bentley and, and did the show with him and all that. Um, but, you know, I think, it, you know, across the board in the sport, I think there's there's that appetite. And so, um you know, you're able to be a small part of preserving some of that history. And, and then when you take it and show it somewhere, especially, you know, somewhere over there in Tennessee or whatever, where obviously there hasn't been a super modified presence in forever. I mean, I think um, I keep hearing that. Who is it? Uh, gosh, what's the Isma racer? Is it is it Kyle Edwards? Somebody keeps saying he's from Memphis, Tennessee, and it's like, really? Like, is the oh. car over there, too? Um, uh, I know there was somebody I thought that they kept saying, and it's like, that's incredible. Like, the, I, if you took that and showed that around Memphis, put it in the mall in Memphis, the first question that everybody asks is, does it have NOS? Because I did that with a stock car once, and that was the first question I got is, you know, does it have NOS? You know, it's kind of that. 
sort of a crowd over there. And and so it's really interesting the way that people perceive. And so you've really got an interesting um, before and after because you've got a 70s chassis and a 90s chassis. And the two are similar, but but quite different. Oh, very, very different. I I noticed that the minute I took possession of the older car. Yeah. What a difference. Uh, uh, And I I said to somebody once when I started accumulating some parts and wheels and stuff for it, and I think I said to Dave Ioso, I said, now I know why we were all so skinny back then. These <laughs> wheels weigh a hundred pounds. The the new cars are either light. Well, yeah, ones I got on the Baby right. Ruth car are light steel. Yeah, before they allowed the aluminum, yeah. and the aluminum ones are even lighter than those. The, I've got a right rear wheel on this, the Joya Chevy. I bet you that thing weighs at least thirty five pounds. Just the wheel alone. Oh, man. Oh, it's it's. I have all I can do to get that thing up onto the hub when I. Put it on to get it on the ground. Oh, it's, it's amazing. The difference in the the technology and the frame, and especially these two, seeing Steve built both of these, to see the difference in the, the thought process of the first one yeah. was so heavy and so sturdy, and you, you know everything was with safety in mind. Not that he didn't have safety in mind with the other car, but you can see the difference in little pieces of light, the thin wall tubing here and there, you know, in places where it doesn't make a big difference. Right. And in the nerf bars and bumpers and how you want stuff to collapse rather than be so rigid. It's uh, it, it's quite a bit of difference. Well, and I remember, I'm pretty sure that back in the day when he built that that car that that won the classic the seven it came out in 75 so i'll call it the 75 car uh when he built the 75 car i think at that point in time that car was a little lighter and and sort of a progression from the car that they had before which i think was you would remember this better than me but wasn't that an indie roadster also yes yeah it was an old curtis curtis roadster yes so, you know, it, it's funny now to think about the fact that when you look at that car, the 75 car that you got that won the Classic, that at the time was lighter than the car it, it, they had had before. And then you look at the 93 car, I think that's when that was built, the the, the Baby Ruth car you got. You know, again, how it had evolved. <laughs> it was just oh, really yeah. amazing, honestly. When, when I took the baby Ruth car, I headed to a bare frame, and I have a, a guy down here that builds dirt late models and street stocks. He's only a couple miles from me. I needed to get some Nerf bars bent and put on, you know, welded up. I had the thing to a bare frame. I put it on a little roller, dragged it out to the back of my truck, and lifted part of it out, put it in the back of my truck, lifted the rest of the frame out, pushed it all the way into the bed of my pickup. Got it over there, and we did what we had to do. Now here, oh, I can't remember. I took had to take the older car to the same man here about a year and a half ago. We had to replace some of the couple pieces of the frame that had uh, rotted out and blown out. Okay. I had all I I had to borrow a trailer, and oh, I wow. could barely lift it a foot off the ground. Wow. To get part of it in the trailer so I could push it onto the trailer. Amazing. That's the the difference. I mean, the first the old, the older car probably weighs about three hundred pounds or more, and the other one only weighs two something. Man. It's it, 
it's it's just amazing to see these two cars side by side, and there was two in the in between these two also. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really uh, it, it's amazing to to think that too. That that again, what you've got skipped basically two generations, um, because as you say, he built. I think it was seventy nine. He yep. built the first offset, and then um, gosh, I don't even know. Maybe a couple years later, um, I don't. I think that. he built the other car. I know that was the eighty five track championship car, but I think he 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 only ran. The first offset for maybe three years. Yeah, okay. I was gonna say that's the one that went to Timmy Nelson. Yeah, yeah. but I can't remember. I can't remember exactly how long he ran it. Yeah, but I know. I know. I'm pretty sure he had run the the track championship car for at least a couple of years before he it, oh, before he 1985 yeah, I'm sure when he of that. track yeah. championship. I'm sure it. of that. Um, but yeah, it was it. It just amazing how. You know, it kind of in, in the the progression. Just even looking at Steve's cars, you know, the the progression. What did it evolve to until the last one, which is the one you have? Obviously, the Baby Ruth car, the last car he built. Um, I think he had, um, uh, of course, he had Don Ramage's car, and I think that was the one that he that he kind of finished out with uh, as far as an owner, and then he did some other driving for other people along the way. And then um, I think they did build a new car that I think the cars that Steven had were all um, Joya built cars. Uh, yes. You know, he, he built two, he built two, uh, two other cars. The, the one of them was the first one that Steven ran. Yeah. And there was a twin to that. And that thing still races. It's Ralph Clark's car right now. Oh, no kidding. The 350. Yeah. No kidding. See, I didn't even yeah. know that. Oh, wow. So Clark's car is a Joya chassis. Yes. Interesting. That That's a pretty good story right there, that Ralph bought that from Steve, never raced it. Before he even raced it, he, he bought a new engine and then decided not to race, raffled off the engine, sold the car to Danny Connors. Oh. Connors never raced the car. It sat in his garage for I don't know how long. I'm pretty sure Danny sold it to uh, Dickie Kuhn in France, that team. Okay, and, uh, Mike France. And, and yeah. I'd, I'd heard, here was probably about three, four years ago, that car only, they got it together, ran like, I don't I think it was Andy Noto, I believe, ran like 15, 20 laps with it, and either the engine blew or the rear end blew or something like that. That car never raced, sat in their garage till about three or four years ago, and Ralph Clark bought it back. Oh, wow. Now he turned it into a, turned it into a 350. So for all intents and purposes, that car had maybe 20 laps on it with, with, with no doubt. I guess so, it. yeah. From what I, from what I read on Facebook, when they had that car for sale, I, I mean, they were selling the car and engine and everything dirt cheap just to get rid of the clean the garage out and get rid yeah. of stuff. And, uh, but, no and there was a little discussion as to how many laps it ran and what happened to the car and this and that, but it, it was only a handful of laps. I don't think the thing ever saw a track before or after that until Ralph, Ralph brought it back and it's now a 350. So as old as that car was, it's, it was a sort of gently used. <laughs> Oh yeah, yep. 
Wow. See, now, folks, this is why I love doing this show right here. There's there's the kind of little detail and story and fun facts that I love uh, bringing out on this show. That is so cool. Um, so that car is still racing. That's incredible. Yeah. I I had no idea that was a Joya car. I, in fact, I was it, it, even to show you how scrambled my brain get, get has gotten to when Ralph when um, when Ralph Clark first came out, I was in my head. I was thinking Roger Clark in the fifty five car, and and of course you know obviously not not the same guy and. And then I'm like, no, wait, no, 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 Ralph. And I was trying to think about Ralph's history. Um, and I couldn't even remember, like, when he started or what he – and and um, and to find out that the car he's racing now is a Joya chassis, that's pretty cool. Now, the, the twin to that car, Steve built the two of them. I, I'm pretty sure they were either twins or very close alike. Okay. Now that's the. Uh, I think Ray Graham had it, and then Ray sold it to Brian Sweeney because Brian bought it after he ran the newer car that I've got. Yeah, the because he was Brian was he bought the yeah the baby Ruth car went to Brian right and yep the, and that was his first car and then yep. he had the other car that Steve built, which you're saying is the twin to the Roger or the Ralph Clark. See, I'm, I'm confusing again, the Ralph Clark car. Yeah. Now that I think of it, I think Brian had it first and then Ray Graham, because I think Steven raced it when Graham still owned it. And that, I'm pretty sure they might've bought it from him. In fact, okay. it's still out at Steve's right now. Oh, no kidding. Okay. Yeah. So that car is still yeah. intact. Wow. Yeah. Fun. Well, that's uh, I see. I love the I love the history. I love connecting the dots. That's one thing I love about the um, the Facebook pages is, is you know when everybody when you can put something you know kind of start that something like that and then people connect the dots about a car's history or whatever. It's just fun to do that and remember you know because it always gets you you know remembering back and then inevitably one memory triggers another and and uh, it's just fun um you know the uh, the history of some of these cars but i had no idea so that may honestly be one of the oldest uh chassis in the 350 class then uh it may be i think the car that Dalton Doyle ran for uh, Sorrells was older than that yeah it probably I was. that was a 94 or 95 graves um, and I'm I'm not sure when Steve would have built those two cars. I know it was well late yeah, ninety, maybe a little bit yeah. later than that, ninety eight, ninety nine, maybe say that. after yeah. he stopped driving. Yeah, because Steven, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it probably would have been a little bit later than that. So you're right. The uh, the the Doyle car, um, which was I think uh, a Graves one that that was the that was the Graves that Sorrell yeah. had, right? Yeah. yeah. So that yeah. that car probably would would have been, and I, of course it, now the car Dalton's got is a new one. So yeah. I don't think that car is even still running anymore. Um, so uh, it would be interesting to know now what the oldest, and it may now be that uh, that that Joya car that Ralph has. Um, but uh, that that's cool. It's uh, that's fun, and you know, it's it's just been fun to uh, to kind of go back and and reminisce a little bit. And it's awesome to talk to you about those cars that you've got and, and the progress and the fact that the Joya Chevy. 
that car just um, that's a special again like Kemp Dates car that car is a special car to an awful lot of people and it was a special part of Speedway history and so um, that's pretty remarkable that, uh, that that you've got it and that it's just about ready get the wheels and tires on it and bring it up I'm, I'm that's the plan right now I'm I'm um, not as positive as I was a few days ago, but I'm more positive than I was this morning. I'll put it that way. <laughs> it's uh, I've, I've got a. I'm waiting on a phone call right now, and I'm not sure I'm going to get it today because this friend of mine is is sick up home. But oh. I'm I'm just hoping that if I can get these three wheels and tires to work, I'll only need one. And if I can't get the one to work that I'm hoping I can, I'm going to hope I can borrow a wheel and tire, even though it's not going to be a good year, it'll, you know, it'll help the car, you know, it'll be out there and be, we can, you know, show it better. But Well, that would be, uh, I, again, you know, the, it's, it's, if this, if, if this show and having you on this show and people listening to the show, um, you know, we always, uh, you know, I mean, not that I, I mean, I, it, it's uh, you just always hope that maybe somebody listens to it and has an idea and goes, Hey, Larry, you know, I got, or whatever. That's kind of what we really wanted to do for Kemp's deal. And, um, you know, there were a couple times I, I know where Kemp needed things and we just kind of, you know, put it out there. I don't, not going to say that we were a big part of, uh, that process, but just to say that if this show can be a vehicle for finding what's needed, um, you know, and, and, uh, getting something achieved like that, uh, that would be great. So if you're yeah. listening to the show and uh, you can help Larry in any way, um, you know, just uh, reach out to him on Facebook or reach out to the show. And we'll get the message to him, um, one or the other. You know, you, you mentioned Kempton and his wife and, and Jody. I got, actually got to meet them when I was at the track two weeks ago. Oh, what, what, a, what a great family. Oh, they are. I had, uh, I had so much fun. When I first met Jody, I walked up and said, hi, Jody. She said, yes. I said, I'm Larry Trinka. I said, she says, nice to meet you. I need a hug. <laughs> and and uh, then I got to meet Faye, and I had a couple long conversations with her and Kemp. Yeah. And uh, he, he was nervous. I, I can I tell you he that. Was. He was nervous. I bet he, he was. Uh, when he went to fire the car the first time, it wouldn't fire. Oh, boy. They pushed him all the way through the pits. And so I was standing there. I think I was standing with Dave Ioso and Jody and a couple other people. And uh, he, he came in and somebody, somebody ran over by the headers. They said, well, it's getting fuel. It's getting fuel. I said, well, if it's getting fuel, try the kill switch. It's always the kill switch. And that's what it was. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, there was a couple of us. Try the kill switch. Try the kill switch. And uh, and they backed it off. But I I'm not sure if it didn't get backed off enough. He, he come back in after he did a couple laps and said, that's still kind of loaded up and a little logy. He said, I'm not going to run it anymore. He said, I don't want to damage anything. But he, the smile on his face, you could see it right through the helmet. It was oh, amazing. I, I bet. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that's, you know, again, that those are just precious moments when you can see, uh, uh, you know, and, and in our case, obviously it's racing and, you know, a driver from, you know, from back in the day. Right. And, and I, yep. I, I've, I've told the story before that, uh, you know, Jody told me when I, when I first approached her about, uh, 
or I think she approached me originally. I'm not sure. No, I think I actually approached her. I don't know. However, we talked about anyway, kept coming on the show. Um, you know, she, she wasn't sure and, and he wasn't sure, uh, that he, that anybody would still care. And then, you know, here we are a couple of years later and all of that that's happened and he gets to go out there in that car. And I hope, and, and this is what I said, I think on, on last week's show, I hope that after retro night, uh, uh, I hope now he understands that a lot of people still care uh, and yep. that he's never yep. been forgotten. And he, he didn't think they did. Nope. And that's, you yeah, know. That, that just shows the the family aspect. Uh, it's awesome. Of Oswego Speedway. Yep. Yep. And, and you've said it a million times, and yep. I think you're, you're 100% right. Well, I mean, it's, it's you know, the, the, the super modified division and, you know, even explaining to some of the folks that I'm working with now who are kind of helping me with, with what I do in my work with branding and, and all the, that, uh, you know, telling them because they're not, you know, they weren't familiar with super modifieds and, you know, kind of explaining about, you know, look, it's, it's, it's a small group of people in terms of the current number that are you know that have cars and go racing and all that i said but i said there are super modified fans from 50 years ago all over the country that are sort of um pretending to be things like nascar mechanics but really it's only because they couldn't get a full-time job working on super modifieds like it's a it really is a an addiction inside of the addiction um you know there are people who are addicted to racing and then there are people who are addicted to super modifieds and you know the the super modified is a very strong drug and so um you know once you've once you've it's kind of like once you've gone super you'll never go back right you know nothing else is good enough and that's really um that, like i told him i said that's the the joy that i get in doing the show is that um you know when i get to tell a story like kemp's and you know, and, and, and to make that sort of, you know, put that out there in a place where now, you know, everybody will always be able to go find it. And, you know, and so and then to, to see Jody and Faye put together the book and all of the hours and the craft and everything that went into that um, and, you know, all of that and to see Kemp get to go out. Um, what a moment, uh, you know, and, and so I'm just thankful for everybody that, that helped make that happen. And, um, you know, it sure would be nice. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I mean, look, I, you know, it's my show. I can say it if I want to sure would be nice to see old Steve hop in that car and, uh, go out and take a few laps and just, uh, let everybody see it going around the track again. Just saying. Well, I, I wish my budget would allow me to get one of them to run, <laughs> but I mean that was always my ultimate goal, and was I wanted to take a lap around a circle speedway in a car of mine. Oh well, see you and, got two, so you could have one. Steve gets in the yeah. other, you know. <laughs> then you could get out well, and put Steven in it, and then the two of them could yeah. be on the track together. I'll never forget when I took it when I took the baby Ruth car up to the old timers, the one time it's been up there, and I borrowed a trailer from Tom York. Yep, and I got to pull my own race car through that front pit gate into the pits of the Swigo Speedway. You'd swear to God I was behind the wheel. I was just all tingly. It was just, I bet. it just blew me away. I kept thinking to myself, holy cow, I bet. I'm dragging my own race car through the front pit gate at the Swigo Speedway. This is just cooler than heck, you know. And, and, but, well, um, um, 
you never know. Maybe someday. Well, again, after what I just saw with the Red Creek Rocket restoration, uh, I, you know, I, I just believe that anything's possible. And I think uh, a lot of people would like to see more of what we saw in Retro Night. So, uh, you know, again, Larry, always uh, a pleasure to talk with you. And thank you for, uh, you know, all of the work and, and the effort that you put into this, uh, these two cars. Uh, can't wait to see the the, the car, uh, whether I get to Classic and see it there or whether I uh, come across into Tennessee and visit it in its, uh, in its new home. Uh, but uh, can't wait to see it and certainly uh, thankful for the opportunity to chat with you on the show a little bit again. Well, I appreciate you very much having me on again, Tom. And uh, I would like to see a Classic if, if you can make it up. Uh, and you get to see the car for you know firsthand, right? In, in person. That would be the way to do it, and that's uh, yeah. what I'm hoping for. We'll see uh, how the next week or so goes, and then I'll be able to tell more. But uh, again, uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. That is Larry Trinka, everyone, and uh, we're going to uh, take a brief pause and come back with more of Inside Groove right after this. Hey, here's a little fish tale for you. It's about a place named Skip's Fish Fry. Skip's Fish Fry is located at 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. So don't call them on Sunday or Monday. They're gone fishing. They are open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 to 7. They serve a variety of great fish, burgers, Hoffman hot dogs, conies, lobster, soup, salad. They even have cheesecake if you feel like some delicious dessert. I love their haddock pieces. That's one of my favorites. Uh, And they just have great food. It is the best fish in the Port City. I'm not just saying that because they're a sponsor of this show. It is one of the first places that I go to eat every time I'm in town. So call Skip's Fish Fry or go visit them on their website at skipsfishfry.com. And by the way, you can order online and just go pick it up. It's a great way to go ahead and take care of the not-so-fun part before you get there. And then when you get there, just pick up your food, bring it home, and enjoy. Skip's Fish Fry, 42 West 2nd Street in Oswego. Go visit them. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just a school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financial aid is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to The Groove. This is episode 81. I mentioned it earlier, the Ron McLeod episode. I mean, isn't that obvious? Uh, gosh, I just, uh, when I think of the number 81 at Oswego, that is the first car that comes to mind is that blue number 81 that Ronnie McLeod had, uh, for a number of years. It was an old, I don't know who built it. Um, it, it was built before my time. No 
car that, uh, gosh, I, Gordon Dukes, I think, was the first one to, maybe not the first one to drive it, but um, I think he drove it uh, quite a bit for, for a period of time. And, uh, gee, I don't know. Uh, it. I think I remember that maybe at one point in time, Jimmy Gray had it early in his career. Um, but that may have been a different car I'm thinking of. I'm not sure. Uh, but Ronnie bought it. Um, I don't even know who he bought it from, to tell you the truth. <laughs> um, I just remember that, of course, when I first started going in the 70s, Ron drove for Jim Sewell in the 32. They had the upright car then. And then he... Um, uh, I, I think he, he spent a little time maybe in the 15 for Hermie Graf, um, maybe the Wissing for a little bit, a time or two, um, Gary Kelly, there were times I don't think Gary was there and that car had, uh, a couple of fill in drivers at times. I think Ron might've been one occasionally, um, and ended up. Uh, driving for Ralph McLaughlin some, too, in the same car, the show car chassis that I think was the ex-Bush show car 45. It, it That was the same car that Tommy Leeson drove for Ralph a little and then Doug Didero, or Didero first, then Leeson, I can't remember. But um, it wasn't the the B, the car they called the B. It wasn't the black and yellow show car. It was the, it was the It was all white, I think, when Ron drove it. Um, and Tommy, but, um, but maybe not, I can't remember, uh, time just has condensed so much for me and I've lost so much of the detail, unfortunately, but I, I do remember, um, those guys driving for Ralph in one order or the other. And I think Ronnie did, um, for a bit drive, uh, for Ralph in the 48 car. But, um, I think the last car he drove was this 81 and, and, and this was, um, I mean, it was always underpowered. You know, Ronnie never had what he needed to, to really be competitive with it. He just went out and had a good time back when you could do that and not spend a ton of money and just, uh, you know, qualify for the features and, um, you know, just have fun and enjoy racing at the Oswego Speedway uh, back in the day, as they say. And um, so that's the car that I remember most is the 81. Um I don't remember what year it was, but I did have it confirmed that uh, the last driver to sit in that car, to drive that car, to attempt to race that car was not Ronnie McLeod. It was Don Haas. Um, Don ran a, uh, attempted to race it. Uh, It was a classic weekend. I don't know what year. Um, It was after... He had all of his cars, Mouse 1, Mouse 2, and Mouse 3. <laughs> um, and, uh, of course, he never had. He, I think he, he might have had a perfect record of uh, crashing them all on Classic Weekend. Um, but uh, I know that it, this was after he had had his car and sold his car, I think. Uh, he ended up driving for, for Ronnie in the 81 and I think a steering part broke or something broke. Um, 
and he never did even attempt to time trial the car. It was it, whatever broke uh, wasn't fixable, and so they just parked it. But um, he was the last one. He confirmed that uh, in a Facebook group for for me the other day. Um, so that was kind of cool that um, that uh, I ended up getting that confirmed because I knew I wasn't crazy. Um, but, so that was, uh, the story as, as much of a story of, of Ronnie and that car as I could tell, but he was just one of the nicest guys and just loved racing. He just loved racing, loved being in a swiggo, loved running there, um, ran midgets and did some other things. So, uh, that number 81 is, I would almost argue that that may be the, the most, famous of the 81s that have run at Oswego. Um, there were a couple of others. I remember uh, Roger Bible, I think, was number 81 when he raced. I don't know where. He might have been from the Midwest, maybe. Um, and the the only reason I remember that is because when it was one of the earlier classics, maybe 73 or 74 or 75 that he ran and um, I don't know that he made the race. He might have. But I <laughs> I thought the name was pronounced Bibble. And I, I just thought that was the funniest last name when you're, you know, when you're seven or eight. You, you know, things are funny to you. And I just thought that was the funniest last name ever until um, somebody, I think probably I heard Roy say it or whatever. And it was Bible. And it was then it was like, well, that's. Still kind of a funny last name. But um, anyways, my apologies to Roger uh, for, for mocking his last name as a kid. But um, it's what kids do, I guess. Uh, so it was I remember that. And I think Bill Heaney, maybe too. I remember a Bill Heaney. And I think I seem to put him with an 81. Um, and then the other 81 that I remember kind of from back in that day was uh we talked about it last week on episode 80. It was uh, Ronnie Madison had bought the the Swift convertible, as I call it, the uh, the 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 chassis that um, it was really a sportsman chassis, but it was the first car that uh, Nolan took the body off of when the Super started running a Swiggo in the 60s. That car was uh, still around. Ronnie Madison had it. Uh, I think um, Dick Jarrett, maybe junior senior. And then Jim Muldoon drove it, and and um, I don't know who owned it. Maybe it was one of the Jarretts. But anyways, Ronnie Madison, I think, bought it or drove it for somebody. And then Ron Graves ended up in it as the 81. That was his first car. And so, um, or first ride, anyway, first full-time ride, I think. Uh, so I remember that car, too. And then, gosh, 81, Denny Fisher, um, I'm a, I, I, I think Denny ran a swiggle a little bit. He was 81. Um, I'm missing one or two. Who am I missing? 81. Come on. Um, gosh. I <laughs> challenge myself with these things on the spot to make the brain work, and it lets me down more than it helps me lately. But um, 80, 81, um, I know I'm missing at least one. Um that that ran and there were probably a couple of them that were again may have been like number changes maybe an 01 to an 81 or whatever but i feel like there's one still that i'm not catching um that i should be 
an 81 that, that should be obvious. But um, I'll, I'm going to fast forward here to the classic rewind, um, no pun intended. And then <laughs> if I think of the other 81, I'll shout it out. And, and again, I, I'm, I'm trying to hit hit all of them. But uh, like I said, it feels like there's one that, that was obvious that I'm not thinking about. But I don't know uh, what that would be. So, um if I if I if I think about it, I'll come back to it. Okay, let's talk about classic seventy nine, and you can have your own fun with the number eighty one, and and kind of as always, help me in the chats, uh, and um, and and tell me there's probably four or five now that that I've I've missed. Um, that uh, I think maybe Joe Grunda might have been eighty one at one point. The number changed from 01, but that's not who I'm thinking of. Um, I just feel like there's one eighty one that I'm missing, and I. I just can't put it together. So somebody will. Okay. 1979 classic. Oh boy. Um, This season, I remember somebody making the remark back in that time. I think it might've been that season during that season. Somebody I, I heard or saw or read or somebody kind of, made a remark that that would be the season that nobody remembers. And I don't know why that was said because I thought that 79, I mean, obviously after the season, the 79 season became something different than it was during the season. We'll get to that. But I thought that season was kind of a a fun season in a way because if you think about uh the 70s we talked about the 77 classic we talked about the 76 classic and the only thing I'll say about the 75 classic is that it sort of I feel like those three classics were almost like of a kind, you know, of a period. Those three classics, because of the comp- the level of competition, the number of competitive cars, I feel like those three classics were all essentially like a matched set. They were almost a carbon copy of each other in terms of all of those things. Now, obviously, they didn't end the same, but um, even if you look at 75 and 76... It was Gary Albright and Steve Joy, and then Steve Joy and Gary Albright in those two years. And uh, 77, um, you know, was Kemp to Dates and Warren Conium, and then Kemp ran out of fuel and Conium won. But you had 77 was kind of the year of the Dates cars. And then 78 was when the offset revolution, you know, everybody started coming out with their offset cars to keep up with the offset that Jimmy debuted in uh, well, brought it out in '76 and raced it himself for the first time in '77. Then in '78, Jimmy went on that tear and won, you know, like 13 races and lost the championship because he broke in all the big point double point shows. And Conium won it without winning a race in a dates car, uh, the McKnight Six. And so in '79, it was kind of I feel like the year that. Everybody started to um, 
kind of get the hang of the offset thing, but you still had a lot of guys that were running the older style cars. And of course, Jimmy Champagne brought out the rear engine car and uh, Dave Schulich was a big factor in 79 with the Bodner car. Um, you know, you had Dean Hogue, you had um, Jim Cheney back in the 04. Um, I thought 79 to me was a season of almost transition um, for for everybody. And, you know, I think a lot of people, when they saw Jimmy's her engine, they figured, well, here we go again. The car never, I mean, it was fast, um, but it was not necessarily reliable um, in the early part of the season. Then he had the wreck with it and had the foot injury. And then he finally got a win with it just before Classic. But, you know, he put Warren Conium in it for Classic Weekend. And, you know, obviously, I think going into it, you had to consider the two of them both favorites to win. But I don't know that if you were being honest that you would put a lot of money on the rear engine car just because it had had a number of little problems through the season. And so, but it was a different kind of year in terms of who was up front because Captain Dates had retired. Um, you know, you had Cheney back. You still had Denny Wheeler. You had Conium. You, it, actually, no, Conium was gone most of the year. So you, you had you had him out. Ronnie Wallace wasn't a regular in 79. Um, you know, so it was sort of a transitional, a bit of a changing of the guard kind of year. You still had Joyam, Bellinger, and and Ziprich and Champagne, but Schulick was a big factor. And, um, of course, you had, uh, you know, Jamie Moore there still in the 44, guys like uh, Schoberlein and um, Bobby Stelter was 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 running some. Um, in the uh, 04, actually, uh, took over uh, from Jim Cheney. Cheney ended up racing the Classic in the Joya Backup 99. That happens to be the car that uh, Larry Trinka has, the 76 Classic winning car. That was the car Cheney was in that year. Um, and so going into the Classic, I think, you know, you, you looked at Chuck Siprich, you looked at the Champagne cars, and, and you know, then there was Joya. Um, and those were the guys, I think, were the offsets that you really um, – you really looked at as being the the favorites. Bentley Warren had uh, the Graves car by then. And, um, you know, Johnny Spencer had a pretty good season with the 23 car. But um, it it was still a pretty good field for Classic that year. And um, we'll look at the time trials kind of briefly here. Um, your pole sitter was uh, Jimmy, 17.914. It's hard to believe that even as late as 79 that um that he he was only running uh 179 that's that's all he qualified at he was the only one under 18 seconds which was really interesting um second quick that year was actually Steve Joy in his new offset 18008 third quick was Warren Conium in the rear engine car the 6 ball uh, the uh he had 18024. Fourth quick was uh Bentley Warren, 18142. Gary Alberton was fifth quick, 18284. And then Dave Schulich, sixth. Ronnie Madison, seventh quick. 
seventh quick in the 67 card. That was the, 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 the Swift car, the Nolan's last car that he sold to, uh, Jimmy Groves in, in, uh, 78 for Ron Gapsky to drive by that time, Ronnie Wallace, that little kind of group with Ronnie Wallace, Ronnie Madison. I think Groves was still involved. And I think there may have been someone else involved by then too, but, um, Ronnie in a really nice qualifying run with that car. Seventh quick that year. Um, eighth quick was Jerry Busky. Ninth quick was Chet Phillip in the rear engine car. And, uh, that was a height car. And then 10th quick was Lou Bannister. Um, the interesting thing for me that year, there were two things actually. Number one was that Jeff Bodine was in the classic field and time trialed his way into the field with a Clyde Booth 09, 17th quick, um, let me run down. Uh, let's see. Eddie Bellinger, 11th. J- uh, Jimmy. Yes, it's Jim Spencer here instead of Johnny. Um, little error there in the pro- in the 50 years of classic book. Um, so Jimmy Spencer apparently made his super debut that year. Johnny Spencer qualified 12th. Uh, 13th quick was. Where do we go from here? Show me a 13. Eddie Thompson in the 91 car. That was his offset car, his first one. 14th quick was Doug Havron, still in the ex-Champagne Roadster. 15th quick was Chuck Siprich. Hard to believe that Charge and Charlie qualified that poorly with a Buckner 36 offset car that year. But 15th quick for him. 16th quick was, uh, gosh, where is uh, Jamie Moore was 16th quick that year. 17th quick was Jeff Bodine. In the Clyde Booth 09, I'll tell you more about him in a moment. 18th quick was, gosh, they're all over the board here. Brian Herb was 18th quick. 19th quick was Joe Paino in the 06. That was the other green machine, that beautiful green car. Gosh, I love that. The X Del Meeks 2. It was a Dates chassis, Conium 46 to start with. Um see, 20th was Mark Letcher in the Sewell, 32. 21st, Tommy Leeson. 22nd was Jim Cheney in the 99. That was the Joya Chevy, Joya backup car. 23rd was Bobby Stelter in the 04. Not the offset. That was still the uh, same car that Warren Conium had driven and Jim Cheney had driven and had the fire in. Merv Treichler drove it. Um, Eddie Bellinger for a while in 78 when his car was sidelined. And uh, Cheney came back 79, then left again. And Bobby Stelter um, drove it in the Classic that year, was 23rd quick. And 24th quick was Barry Can in the 66 uh, out of New England. Uh, 25th, Dick Batchelder. 26th, Mike Rizzo. 27th. Johnny Logan in the Keenan Addy 35 still at it in, in 79. 28th, Dean Hogan, the deuce. Uh, that was his rookie year. 29th. Um, I don't see a 29 listed here. Let's see if I can find a 29. I do not see a 29. So maybe they only took, looks like they only took 28 cars out of time trials that year. 
Um, some of the ones that didn't qualify, Slamming Sammy in his number 30, Sammy Carista. Ronnie Graves in the 98, Jim Mayfield in the 58. Mike Schoberlein in the 14, Jim Brown in the 55. Paul Strasser in the 33, Brad Licht in the 84. Howla Tulip in the 75. Steve Miller in the former Miller Sweet 16. Um, he had sold that car to somebody, and they made it 89, and he he tried to qualify. It didn't make it through uh, time trials. Skip Smith in the 41. That would have been one of the ex-wheeler cars, I think. Paul Richardson in the 42. Not sure what car that was. There's Ronnie McLeod in the 81. Bob Garvey, the 49. Don Haas in the 29. Kenny Wheelock in the 08. Denny Wheeler did not qualify that year in the 96. That's rare. Howie Brown in the 79. Ronnie Wallace in the 76. That was still his track championship winning car. Johnny Bush in the 45 did not make the field. Kevin Lyons in the 19. Brian Macrath in the 40. The Loose Moose Express. Tony Lavati in the 47. I don't remember what that car would have been either right off the off the top. So all of those guys, Gary Kelly in the four was the other one I did not name. Um, those were the guys who did not qualify through time trials. Obviously, some of them made it through the uh, wacky races on Sunday. But um, those are the guys that didn't qualify through time trials. Okay, so, um, so we get to uh, the classic race itself. And I think that uh, you could sum this up as kind of a an ongoing series of not quites. Um, most of the um, first part of the race was Jimmy Champagne leading and then Steve Joya and Warren Conium and Jimmy's backup, the rear engine. Um, most of the race was basically those guys. Now, there were a couple things. First of all, I mentioned Jeff Bodine in the Clyde Booth 09. Jeff was supposed to run the Classic with that car um, and do double duty because he always, back then, he was running the Modified 200 as well. Well, he time-trialed on Friday, or maybe it was still Saturday then. I can't remember if we'd gone to night timing or not yet, but he time-trialed the car in anyway. And then the Classic got rained out on Sunday, postponed to Monday. Jeff was committed to a modified race somewhere on Labor Day. So he had to step out of the car, and they put Dave Thomas in it. So that's that's um, that's something to keep in mind here. Um, the On the 54th lap, Brad Thrall, who was driving Skip Matzik's Polish Cannon, just destroyed the car. I remember that crash like it was yesterday. He just, it. the book says he launched the car into the first turn wall. That's a good way to describe it. Now, the interesting thing is that right, not long after that happened, on lap 74, Jimmy, Jimmy, see, I, I, I did, the book has me, Johnny Spencer in the 23, spun, and uh, right in front of the leaders, and Jimmy tried to go low, Conium tried to go high, and Jimmy basically clipped the 23, and it broke something on the eight ball, put him out. Conium 
made it around safely and continued on and basically took over the lead at that point. Now, at, at the same time that that caution happened for Spencer and, and Jimmy, um, <laughs> the 09 car of Dave Thomas, I think he lost his brakes. Yes, actually, the book just confirms this. He lost his brakes, ran slap over Jerry Buskey, and just smashed the third turn wall, like hard. And so you had what amounted to a double caution, one at each end of the track. And so that car was completely destroyed. And he ended up, um, Clyde ended up, I think, partsing it. um, And sort of out of that car, what they could salvage became the 1980-09 that turned into the 6. They renumbered it, I think, for Oswego. Warren Conium was the driver they chose. And, of course, Warren won, like, a lot of features. That he won a lot of races. And he won the track championship, too. Um, just a... a an amazing year for Conium. And it was his second track championship in three years because he had won it in 78 with Dave McKnight. So, um, but anyway, so uh, that, you know, that car ended up being destroyed and it kind of makes you wonder had Bodine been able to drive it. Um, so, you know, who knows what, uh, what may have happened there, but um, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things where you, you look and if you're Jeff Bodine, you say, well, maybe it was good that I wasn't in the car. Uh, thankfully, um, neither Dave nor Brad Thrall were injured. And uh, the race went on. Conium ended up having to pit. And he ended up losing a lap because the push truck kind of hopped over the car a little bit. And... Um, so it did a little bit of damage to the back end of the six, which I think kind of came into play later and may have ended up costing him or, or at least partially costing him the race, but lost the lap, came back out, race goes on and, you know, you got Joya, you got Albright and you got Schulich, you got Bentley up there. Um, you know, all of those guys kind of battling back and forth. Um, and Siprich is coming, and now Siprich decides to make his move, and on about lap 156, uh, he took the lead. So Siprich is out front. Now, in the meanwhile, everybody's watching this, what I think is the most badass super modified ever built, um, watching this, this, this six ball of Conium just, he is just, it, 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 he was sort of like Pac-Man, you know, he was just like gobbling up the cars around him. Um, it really was an incredible drive, to be honest, because um, he he just uh, he was driving it for all it's worth. And really, um, you know, you, I, you remember and I didn't remember this until I was looking through this uh, this section of the 50 years of classic book. But uh, this was the year that Jimmy was as Coney was charging back toward the lead, he was standing on the hub rail, cheering him on, clapping and cheering. And um, just uh, he had to be amazed, honestly, uh, because I, I don't even think Jimmy, I mean, he won a race with the car, but I'm not sure Jimmy had run the car as 
as well as Conium did that day because Conium was basically going for broke because he had to come through and unlap himself, which he did, and then come through again and take the lead, which he did. Um, and uh, I think lap 169, according to the book. And <laughs> it, uh, it looked for all the world like Warren had this. And then um, the um, smoke began coming out of the back of the car. Uh, the oil storage tank was damaged. It began to leak, and uh, Conium was black flagged 15 laps from the end on lap 185. And um, Chuck Siprich ended up uh, winning the race. And interestingly enough, Schillick finished in second. Gary Albritton was in third. And then had some engine smoke. He, too, was black flagged. So Heveron ended up passing Joe Paino, who was running out of fuel to take third. Paino limped to him in fourth. And Jim Cheney, driving the backup 99, finished in fifth. Now, that's kind of interesting, I guess, to tie the whole uh, this whole show into a bow because a lot of the interview with Larry was about that car. So um, thank you, Brian Cavalier, for... Uh, uh, requesting that I do the 79 classic on this show because it kind of makes a nice was that was that was cool to see too because of course Jim Cheney had had the fire in 77 and he came back in 78 won uh, at Thompson in the spring race the first time he he got back in the car um but uh you know and had some okay runs with the 04 but just never really quite you know, got back to where he was with that car before the fire for whatever reason. And so um, he kind of walked away a couple times from the ride. And um, in 79, when he left, uh, you know, Bobby Stelder ended up in the car. Bobby had driven for Salve back some years before and, um, you know, and then became their driver full time in 1980 with their first offset car and had a pretty decent season. Um, but uh, seeing Cheney finish fifth in that backup 99 was pretty cool um, because it was one of his last really good runs at Oswego. He ran there several times after that in different cars, but, um, you know, I think that was about the best finish he had, he had uh, after the fire maybe. Um, and that was, uh, that was a cool deal. Um, the car raced one more. Well, it raced, I think, a few times in 1980 with uh, maybe Kevin Lyons in it. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, and then Joe Gozik and Don Joy each got their turns. Donnie ended up in it for a number of races leading into the Classic where he finished in the top 15. And, um, and then uh, uh, I think that was it. I don't think... Um, I don't think anybody else uh, drove the car after the 80 classic um, as I think Larry was alluding to. And so, you know, that was a good run for, for Jimmy Cheney to, to be able to do that in that car. But of course, you know, the, the epilogue is that um, that race and that drive from Warren Conium in the six ball ended up being the catalyst for Oswego's decision to ban rear-engine cars after the season, effective immediately. So um, nothing, no more rear-engines after 79. Um, and, you know, again, 
uh, I'm not going to. I've said my piece more than once about how I feel, <laughs> how I feel about that decision. Um, and, that, you know, and, and I, I will again say that when Dick O'Brien was on the show, he and I had a good discussion about that. And, and Dick was very candid and, and I appreciated his candor. Um, and, you know, it's it it was a decision that was made for better or worse. It was made. And uh, so, you know, that really as far as I was concerned, and I still believe it to this day, that right there was the last that ended basically all real innovation when it came to supermodifieds, because um, when you look at the blueprint that went forward, you just now again, there were changes in in the appearance of the cars and you know, all of that, but you, you started to get into in the mid eighties as, as the mid eighties turned to the late eighties, you started to have the graves car revolution. And then you had Howie page, but I mean, those cars were still, you know, essentially they were still similar cars. They may have looked different, you know, with, but, they were still kind of the same car. And then um, it wasn't until Clyde Booth brought the aero car out that, you know, the next, and, and that, um, that led to where we are today. But I, I, I feel like that ended basically the era of um, mass innovation. You know, I, I'm not going to say nobody tried anything different. You had, you know, you had a number of, um, I mean, we had the uh, the upright cars that, you know, Sand and McAuliffe and and, and uh, Jim Gray tried, and you know, different things like that. I think that was after after '79 that those guys did that. Um, but there wasn't an awful lot. I mean, things sort of stayed the same, um, more or less. I mean, you know, I'm not going to quibble over, you know, one type of shock versus another or whatever. You know, Hoosier versus Goodyear, all those things. I mean, that, you know, I think the the real era of open competition, I guess, is a better way to say it. The era of open competition ended with the ban of the rear engine. The four-wheel drive went out the window in 77 because they banned it after 76. And then once they banned the rear engine cars, then everything basically kind of the, the, the box that you got to play in kept getting smaller and smaller until basically right now. Um, it's just really hard to, you know, you kind of, it, it's a different kind of deal trying to, to come up with something completely different today. I don't know really, I don't know what that would even be or look like. Um, so again, none of that's meant to necessarily be, you know, um, mean or nasty or disrespectful, but just, I mean, you know, that's, that's my, my take is that mass innovation, open competition, super modifieds effectively were over at Oswego after it is starting in 1980. And the, the first year of that, obviously a lot of people built new cars and everybody said, see, it was the right decision. But in reality, um, the rear engine car that Jimmy had really wasn't that much, there wasn't a lot to it. 
you know, he found the right way to sort of put everything together. You know, a lot of the rear engines had overheating problems and, uh, you know, other types of things. Um, Bill Heights cars, the four wheel drive car had reliability issues. Um, you know, there were a number of, of, of things. Jimmy found the way, but really that one classic drive, you know, was what the decision was based on. And, and if you look at the car's whole season, um, yeah, it had one other win. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't just don't know that, uh, you know, that the car was necessarily that much better. I mean, I would have loved to have seen, <laughs> honestly, I would have loved to have seen it one more year with either Jimmy in it or somebody else in it that was, you know, of that caliber too, to see if it could have, you know, over a whole season what it would have done. Um, but, uh, but that's what everybody felt they had to do. So um, again, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to start any controversy with this. I've said my piece before and I, you know, I, I totally respect uh, the Caruso's and, and what they did and, and, and why they did it. Uh, you know, and Dick O'Brien and, and, and everybody, um, you know, and, and I'm not, um, it, it really is difficult for me sometimes to, even with these Facebook groups, because people jump in and they just, it's just like, you know, everybody wants to just vent and <laughs> like, you know, I, I don't, you can, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So I have my opinion about things and, I think my opinion is is worth exactly as much as anyone else's, and you know people say, well, if you if you don't spend money and own them and drive them and whatever, you shouldn't have an opinion. Well, you know I got two letters for that. I'm not going to I'm not going to even use the letters here. Um, I'll just be polite and say nonsense. We all have a right to express an opinion, and um, you know, but but I do think that we all should remember that when we're expressing our opinions, it's okay to have a discussion and a debate back and forth as long as it doesn't get to a point where we start um, insulting people because, um, you know, I will be the first to say I learned that lesson from <laughs> years back, um, you know, that that uh, there's a different way to express an opinion and you don't have to be, you know, uh, it, 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 you know, you got to kind of balance a little bit. Um, and it, it's, it's too bad. The, 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 um, tone of discussion sometimes that happens in, um, on social media these days, um, I think, you know, constructive discussion or back and forth debate is perfectly fine. And everybody has a right to their opinion and a right to, to express it in whatever way they see fit. But, you know, I just hope that, uh, I guess if I, if, if, if I'm now that I'm already up on my soapbox, which I didn't intend to be. Um, you know, I just hope that we can sort of think about going forward, you know, the fact that uh, we should be fortunate at this point that we still have a Swigo Speedway and Super Modifieds, and we may not all agree on what the best formula is, um, you know, or whatever. But at the end of the day, um, again, perfectly fine to talk about it, talk about the old days, bench race, you know, beat it back and forth, you know, express opinions, whatever, that's fine. But um you know, just remember to be thankful for what you do have. And for me personally, um, just to kind of put us back to current here, as I think about, you know, Mr. Super Modified, and I think about, you know, what we got left before Classic, and then, you know, Classic coming up, um, you know, would I like to have 58 cars in the pits? Absolutely, 100%. Who wouldn't, right? 
Um, I hope we have enough to actually start 34. Um, I'm not sure that that's going to happen. Um, and I, I say that not being negative. I'm just not literally not sure. I mean, I've seen some entry lists floated about, um, you know, in, but of course they're unofficial. Um, so I'd like to see enough to start 34, uh, and, and because not just because it's classic tradition to have 34, but because it would make a statement about the fact that we can still get 34 cars at the track at the same time. And, you know, it kind of gives you hope going into next season when you're going to have folks like Bill Sharkey, who unfortunately hasn't been able to get out. And we, and I want to wish Billy well, going to have some knee surgery. Um, and uh, I know he's in a lot of pain. So, Billy, if you're listening to this, um, hope you hope your surgery is 100% successful and a quick and, and, and full recovery so we can uh, get you back on out on the track with the uh, 59 car for next year. I know you want to come back and race. And we'd love to have you back. Um, but I uh, hope we get some some turnout from New England and Ohio and uh, just have a great classic lineup of big block supers. Um, nice to see uh, Bob Bond was going to be uh, in the Fast Friday deal at Oswego um, this week. So good to see that he was coming back. Um, Tyler Schulich's going to be in his other car, the Clyde Booth. Uh, I think it's a Booth car. No, sorry, not a booth car. The extreme car, my bad. Um, the extreme car, twenty-five, and um, so again, just I just hope for a, a good, solid turnout. But uh, you know, let's do try to remember when we're we're venting that uh, we we should also balance a little bit, and you know, and remember to you know uh, to remember to be thankful that we and, and and I like seeing the three fifties grow and the SBS class has been fun all year too. So. Um, really excited. I didn't get uh, to wrap up last week's uh, racing, but um, we'll we'll try to add that to the agenda for next week. Camden and I missed each other again this week. Uh, promise that it's not that he doesn't want to be on, but um, you know he's obviously trying to get ready for racing too, and and uh, he has a lot going on, and and so do I. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll get Cam back next week and we'll, uh, we'll kind of reflect back on these last two weeks. I'm going to try, uh, to, uh, to, to make sure that we get the winner of Mr. Super Modified on if we can. Um, you know, there are a few of the guys that I've talked to that just haven't wanted to take the time to come on and that's okay. Um, you know, and, uh, so we'll see, we'll, uh, we'll do our best here, but, uh, that's, uh, that'll wrap it up. Um, gosh, I know I'm still missing an 81 or two, but you guys will fill it in. Um, and, uh, definitely appreciate uh, everyone that listens to this show. And again, thanks to, uh, our sponsors, uh, Jeff West and IPC Indy, uh, Rich Worth and JNS, uh, the crew at JNS Paving. And last but not least, all of the staff, uh, I keep mentioning, um, Sean Cathcart, but his staff as well at Skips Fish Fry and Graf's Pub. And appreciate uh, all of you listening. Please share the show. Um, share the show. Please share the show. We want as many fans as we can. I don't care if they listen to all my parts of the show, but I really want them to hear the guests. So, uh, you know, at least uh, share the show so that even if they only listen to the featured guest every week, that's fine with me. So have a great uh, weekend. I hope it's a safe weekend for everybody. Hopefully Mother Nature cooperates. Uh, God bless everyone, and we'll talk to you on episode 82 of 
the Inside Groove. I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove. Powered by-